Good morning. It is so great to be here. My name is Mike Stallings. For those of you who may not know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here at Concord. Most Sundays, I am across the way. I'm in the, the traditional space. Mostly, you'll see me in a robe leading choirs and doing that sort of thing. So it is always just a joy and a treat for me to be here in this space, which is so sacred and so worshipful. And it's just an honor and a privilege to be here and to be a part of worship with, with these musicians who some of whom I've known for decades, and they are just great friends. I've made music with them, uh, been friends with them, uh, made some road trips with them, and it's just wonderful to be a part of, of this worship. And, and to those of you who are watching online, I just want to remind you, you are a part of this sacred space as well. Uh, every time I have the opportunity to talk to people who, who are watching us, I want to remind you that you're not looking through a window at something that's going on. You are a part of us, of, of this faith family. You are in the room with us, and we hold you uh, as part of us. So welcome. So glad you are here. Um, my wife, Claudia, and I have now been married for 32 years, and uh, we have had remarkably few arguments. I mean, you can count the arguments on one hand, really. I'm not bragging. It's just that we get along well. We've had very few disagreements even, but there, there is one disagreement that we just understand will never be resolved. And so we just don't talk about it and we let it alone. It's a disagreement about music style. Uh, I am a fan of, and I appreciate classic, traditional country music. I'm, I, the, the traditional stuff that's before, say, 1990. Uh, she likes the more modern country music, and so we just kind of agree to disagree. And, it, and it's not that I you know, necessarily like how the old stuff sounds, because it can be a bit nasally, a bit twangy, and there's lots of steel guitars that are used inappropriately from time to time. Uh, but it's... <laughs> I have my own opinions about that. The thing about country music, though, especially uh, some of the older stuff, is it tells great stories. There are great stories in country music. Uh, and now, granted, a lot of those stories deal with raging alcoholism uh, <laughs> and adultery and, and even sometimes murder. Uh, but for the most part, it's just fascinating how good these stories are and how they suck you in and how songwriters will only use three, maybe four chords, and they get it done in less than four minutes. It's just amazing. For instance, George Jones's He Stopped Loving Her Today. Great song. Sucks the listener in right from the start. Uh, or, or another one, Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man. Because a great story will inspire questions. The first line of that song is, sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Well, now I have questions because I have no clue what that means. Uh, I, I will never understand it. And so I'm willing to spend the next three minutes having her tell me why it's hard to be a woman. And that's what great stories do. They pull us in. And we are wired, we are hardwired to appreciate stories, whether they, whether they be in music or whether they just be a great story. In fact, it's how we learn. There are stories that we remember from childhood. Some of them are a little frightening. Some of them are really entertaining. If you were to tell a child this, this truth, be careful in the world because things are not always what they seem, that's going to go right past a child's head. However, in the story of Little Red Riding Hood or Hansel and Gretel, well, now it becomes apparent. Maybe that house that's made of candy and gingerbread, it looks tempting, but there's something horrible inside. 
And we remember that. We learn perseverance and self-esteem through the little engine that could. And we learn that if we focus too much on fun and leisure and not enough on hard work, that things get scary when the big bad wolf comes huffing and puffing around. It's how we learn. We learn through stories. And there is no greater biblical writer of stories than Luke. Luke understood the power of stories. And during this season of Lent particularly, we are going through the gospel of Luke. And we're looking at some of these stories. And if you are not involved in a daily Bible reading plan, we certainly invite you to join Concord's daily reading plan. We have a printed copy. You can find that at the information desk. Uh, you can find it online, concordunited.org Bible. We also have a daily podcast where uh, members of our, the, the staff, the pastors and lay people will, will write daily devotionals based on readings. And so we invite you to be a, be a part of that. Luke is a fantastic storyteller in many ways, but in especially in his ability to pull readers into the scene uh, and to provide readers and listeners with images of Jesus and words of Jesus that invite serious questions about, well, ourselves. And today's scripture passage is an excellent example but before we read it, I feel like I need to set the context a little bit. Today's scripture passage comes at the end of chapter 7. Chapter 7 in Luke uh, is Jesus beginning his ministry. We already know about, about his birth and the angels. We already know about the temptation in the wilderness. Uh, we know that Jesus is beginning to teach in synagogues. But by chapter 7, things are changing. And people are beginning to ask questions about who Jesus is, what Jesus is. Is he a prophet? Is he something more than a prophet? Uh, what can we figure out? And it starts with Jesus healing the servant of a Roman centurion, which is sort of odd. Why would a Jewish rabbi cure a Gentile, especially one who is attached to an enemy army? Uh, it's sort of odd until you remember, wait, the prophet Elisha did the same thing back in the Old Testament days. And then, later on in chapter 7, Jesus raises from the dead the son, the only son of a widow. Where have we heard that before? The prophet Elijah also did that back in one of the books of Kings. Uh, and so we have these stories that, that, that we're reminding people of what the prophets used to do. And Jesus is doing very similar things, but we're just not sure. Even John the Baptist, he's sitting in prison and he's wondering... Yeah, Jesus is the one that I proclaim to be the light of the world, but is he really? Is he a prophet? Is he something more? I'm just not sure. And so that brings us to today's scripture passage, where you have these questions about what Jesus is, and he is at the home of a local religious leader. So this is uh, the end of chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I tried to say that in a sinister way. I hope I, I, hope I did that. 
Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that's a long story and there's lots to unpack here. Let's start with what the storytellers call the inciting incident. Jesus is invited to a dinner at the home of a local religious leader. Not so unusual. We're not sure why he was invited. Maybe, maybe the Pharisee wanted to find out whether Jesus was for real, whether he was a prophet, or maybe he was someone who could be debunked in public. Or maybe it was as simple as he wanted to honor someone who had been teaching in the synagogue. That's not that unusual. At a conference or a convention now, usually the organizers will invite the keynote speaker to a special meal or a special reception. Thing is, it doesn't matter why Jesus was there. The issue is who was there who had not been invited. A mysterious woman crashes the party and causes a scene. If you've ever been in public and someone causes a scene, some sort of emotional outburst, you know how awkward and embarrassing that can be for everyone, especially if there are tears involved. And this woman has a lot of tears, enough that they have to be dried with her hair. And at this point in Luke's story, he does something unusual. He steps away from being just a biographer or a reporter. He now is a narrator. He uses what we used to call in English class, third-person omniscient. We see inside the mind of Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee is thinking something and it's not very nice. He says to himself that if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who was touching him. He would have been scandalized that this sinful woman would dare to even touch him. In Simon's judgment, she was somehow unclean. And the very act of touching Jesus made him unclean. And Jesus is doing absolutely nothing to stop this. And it's interesting that Simon had already appointed himself judge and jury of this woman and her life. And that is a tricky place to be. He sees no chance of mercy, no chance of forgiveness. And he had essentially assumed the seat and position of God. 
And it's interesting that Luke does not tell us what her sins were. As we read the story, we might jump to some clues, jump to some conclusions. We may make inferences based on incomplete information. We start to make our own assumptions and judgments about her. Maybe we're not so different from Simon as we would like to think. And then suddenly, Jesus tells Simon that he has something to say to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this or hear this, my first instinct is, uh-oh. It reminds me of the times when maybe I was called to the principal's office, which wasn't very often. Um, or maybe the boss at work says, I need you to come to my office to talk about something. There's that sinking feeling that whatever the something is, it's not good. And it could be something trivial and good. There's an even chance that that could happen. Or it could be something significant and bad. But Simon has no choice. The guest of honor has asked to speak. And so Simon says, go ahead. And then Jesus tells this story about a moneylender and people who owed him. Jesus uses the, the phrase denarii or denarius, which was about the wage that the average person of that day would make for a day's work. So if you sort of do the math, you can figure out that one person owed about a month's salary. The other person owed about a year and a half's salary. And remember, neither one could pay their debt. They couldn't work any harder. They couldn't work more hours. They couldn't sell enough to repay this debt. They had no choice at all. Their only options in Jesus' time were to be in a debtor's prison until someone else paid their debt off, which is highly unlikely. Or they could indenture themselves as servants or slaves for the rest of their lives. And yet, the moneylender, the creditor, completely erased their debts. That was it. They didn't know anything. No principal, no interest. It was as if the loan had never happened. The only loser in this situation was the money lender. He took the loss and just let bygones be bygones. That was the story. And then Jesus asked two questions that seemingly have easy answers. The first one, who would love the creditor more? The one with the small debt to pay or the one with the large debt? And Simon seems a little unsure of the easy answer. He says, I suppose it's like he senses a trap, that a trap is about to be sprung. This is a thing to remember about Jesus' questions, both in the Bible and when we have that inward sense that Jesus is confronting us with a question. Sometimes the questions that Jesus asks are painfully easy to answer, but they're difficult to answer honestly. They can create a sort of cognitive dissonance within our souls where we understand what the obvious answer is, but we really would like the answer to be something else. Simon realized, just like we can, that Jesus can catch us in hypocrisy or some sort of spiritual conflict that we would just rather choose to ignore than to face honestly. And then Jesus goes further with a second question. Do you see this woman? Well, of course he had seen the woman. Everyone in the room had seen the woman. She was making a spectacle of herself. 
why would Jesus ask this? Well, it's because Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Luke, uses the word see a little bit differently. The word see in Luke's Gospel often means not just noticing something or someone, it means understanding them, knowing the truth. And so his real question to Simon is, do you see this person as an annoyance or do you see her as a person worthy of dignity and respect instead of judgment and dismissal? Well, if Simon had not truly seen her, Jesus certainly had. He lists the differences in the way that Simon had treated him and the way that the woman had treated him. Now, Simon was not necessarily wrong in the way he had treated Jesus. His hospitality was exactly that which was expected in the day. He had provided food for Jesus. He had provided shelter. He had provided a place of honor. That's what was expected. The woman, though, had gone completely overboard. So it's not that Simon was wrong. It's just that he had done the minimum required, whereas the woman had offered all she had without counting the cost. And now it's clear who Jesus was really talking about in the story of the creditor and the debtors. And furthermore, in proclaiming that her sins were forgiven, Jesus is making a statement. Yeah, he's more than a prophet. He's something much, much more. One of the things that Luke invites us to do throughout his gospel, and really throughout the Bible, this is a wonderful scripture study technique, he invites us to place ourselves within the story. Who are we? What, who are we most like? What character are we most like? Who do we identify with? Are we, we, we are in this time in the Christian year called Lent. Lent is a time of deep and honest spiritual reflection that leads up to Good Friday and Easter. It's when we are invited to take a long, hard look at our spiritual condition, to look inside to see where we really are, and to be unflinchingly honest with ourselves. If we place ourselves in this story, who are we honestly? Are we Simon? Well, unfortunately, the answer too often is, yes, we are, for many reasons. We can be so very quick in judging others as being beyond redemption. Maybe they think the wrong things. Maybe they say the wrong things. Maybe they believe the wrong things. Maybe their lifestyle, their politics, their theology is so different that they are beyond the bounds of our love. We can be really good at listing other people's sins and mistakes and deeming them unworthy of God's forgiveness. Or, even if we decide that, okay, they deserve God's forgiveness, but they've got some work to do before they meet my standard. We still are guilty of placing ourselves in the role of God. And one of the worst things we can do, and I am not preaching at you, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. One of the worst things we can do is to set ourselves as the metric by which God should judge anybody else. Because the problem with that is it robs other people of their dignity and the respect we should have for them. It sets them up as the other, as the one that at least we're not as bad as. My dad was a funeral director for all of his adult life. Uh, in, in fact, the, the day, the very day 
his state funeral director's license expired was the day we laid him to rest in the cemetery. Um, and he, he, he had this saying. I heard him say this a lot when I was a child. He would say, everyone deserves to be put away nice. Grammatically incorrect, but very profound. Because he wasn't, he wasn't trying to upsell caskets or upsell funeral services. What he was saying, it was his way of saying that regardless of station, regardless of class, regardless of financial resources, regardless of anything that someone had done or not done in their lives, they were worthy of dignity and respect because they were in God's image. They deserved his best efforts, regardless of what anyone else thought of them. And Simon the Pharisee, in assigning station to this woman and deeming her unworthy, forgot that he was one of the debtors in the story as well. Maybe he didn't owe as much to God as the woman did, but he still owed God beyond that which he could pay. And we too are guilty of forgetting that. We're church people. And because we are church people, we sometimes forget the grace that God, through Jesus Christ, has extended to us. And like Simon, we tend to give Jesus the minimum amount of hospitality that he deserves. And it's not that we want to shortchange Jesus at all. We just take our forgiveness for granted and hesitate to completely offer to Jesus all that is costly or uncomfortable. But maybe we're someone else in the story. I don't want to paint everybody with the same broad brush. There are some of us who are the woman in the story. We know exactly what we've done, even if others don't. And we know that God forgave and continues to forgive so very much that we've done wrong. And it's important to understand that the woman's actions didn't cause Jesus to love her more, nor did it earn her any forgiveness and salvation. She clearly had, had some kind of encounter or realization of the need for God in her life and found that relief through faith in Jesus Christ. Her actions were actions of gratitude, of glorious praise, not anything to earn God's favor. And some of us understand how much God has given up for us. And we would gladly wash Jesus' feet or do whatever is necessary. We should just realize that whatever we do is not going to make God love us any more because God can't love us any less than he already does. But maybe in this story, we're those who are sitting around the table, still asking who Jesus really is. Who is this that can forgive sins? Some of us still wrestle with who Jesus is. Maybe Jesus is more than a great moral teacher. What if he really is the incarnation of God? What if following him means giving up things that we like, things that we love? What if following him means losing people that we love? These are hard questions. But Jesus will always ask of us the same question that he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And remember, when Jesus asks a question may be easy to answer, but difficult to answer honestly. Finally, maybe we've made some progress. Maybe we actually are like Jesus in this story. It sounds boastful to say, and some of us are hesitant to say that, but maybe we do see people and treat people better than we used to. And that's great, because that's what 
the Apostle Paul and John Wesley would call a fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working inside us. To use a Methodist word, sanctifying us, making us more holy, making us more Christ-like. And that's a thing to be thankful for, to be grateful for, and to celebrate. But the challenge then is to go even deeper into discipleship, to build on that foundation of success and to learn how to see even more people in different and better ways. The stories that Luke gives us about Jesus, they are enormously powerful. They can be uncomfortable because they hold up a mirror to our souls and they show us where we still have some work to do. But we have to be willing to look at that mirror honestly and deeply. And I wish it were more simple, but it is not. Even more troubling is that the more we read and study these stories, the more perceptions and insights we get about areas that still need the Spirit's guidance. It's part of the process of discipleship that we can't nor should we even try to avoid. But no matter how terribly we may be reflected, there's something else in all of Jesus' stories, in all the stories of Jesus. There is unimaginable love, there's unending grace, and there is constant compassion and forgiveness. Jesus never hesitates to look at those who owe little and those who owe a lot with the same measure of grace and love. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for these stories. Thank you for what they teach. Thank you for what they reveal about us. Give us courage to look honestly at ourselves, to seek your grace, to seek your help, and to accept your compassion, your mercy, and forgiveness. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.